ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. Well, I have had a good time. But it's because I decided to wait for I got here. I found out something about the Lord. He'll hang out with about anybody. Ain't we a good example of that? He'll hang out with about anything. He'll hang out with about anybody. And I bless his name and thank him that it's that way. Because had I had to been special for him to hang around me or clean for him to hang around me or unusual for him to hang around me, then I never would have known anything about his presence. But I'm glad to know that he comes and he helps us and he has this week. I have thoroughly enjoyed myself and cannot wait until I get the opportunity again to be back here and this is the quickest three days I've spent in a long time. I get into some meetings, it drags by. Lord, Monday night about 10 o'clock, I'm praying, Lord, let me wake up on Wednesday. (laughs) But not this one. I have enjoyed myself. I love you, preacher. I'm grateful for his testimony. And I hope you love him. And I hope you appreciate him. And I hope you let him know it. And I hope you're not uh, stingy with your compliments. I hope you're encouraging him because the devil ain't. Every time he preaches at the door, I don't care if it's the sorriest you've ever heard. You stand at the door and lie. God will bless it. (laughs) Amen. You just lie. You're pretty good at it at home. Try it down here. Lie. Just tell him that it's the greatest thing you've ever heard. Yeah, and God will encourage him and y'all can go on home and and be blessed. And he'll come back and do better every time if you encourage them a little bit. And I appreciate the good testimony of this fellowship. I'm grateful for the music. Praise God. I mean, the music is wonderful. And I know that you already know that, but I appreciate it. It just makes you, when you can't sing, it makes you want to sing. That's how you know it's good singing. When it makes a bad singer want to sing, whether he can sing or not. And I'm glad of it. Thank God for the choir. Amen. I appreciate everybody that has been faithful all week to come and to be a part of this meeting. And good to see the Hendersons again. They've always been a treat in our life, and I appreciate them also. There's a set of tapes back there. I hope you'll go by and think about getting or at least look at them. Uh, This uh, series is entitled, What to Do When. What to do when, one of them is, When the storm is raging, what do you do when it's pouring rain in your life? These sermons going down the road will encourage you, but you need to stay in the the far right-hand lane and don't get over there next to the median because you'll be in it in a minute, all right? Watch out. You'll get off the road in a minute listening 
to this preaching. I'm telling you, it'll be a blessing to your heart. What do you do when you get, when you get weary? You know, the Bible says, and Jesus at the, at the, at the well, uh, the, uh, where in John 4, it says, and Jesus was wearied in his journey. He got tired. Well, what did he do when he got tired? You can find out in the book and certainly in this message. What do you do when you are barren? What do you do when you're barren? The Bible says, sing, O barren, sing. A good, encouraging, helpful message. Uh, and out of Job's life, what do you do when all is lost? When the devil kicks the four corners of your life out and kills it all, what did Job do? Well, it's a good example. Then there's another one in there entitled, I love to preach this sermon, I won't get to, but what to do when what God gives you dies. What to do when what God gives you dies. He gave that woman who tolerated the preacher, Elisha, and Gehazi, the servant. He gave that woman a son just because she is good to the preacher. And it died. What do you do when what God gives you dies? I hope you'll come by the tape table. And I have uh, appreciated your attention and thank the Lord for all his goodness. Get your Bible tonight, if you will, please. And uh, I want you to go with me uh, to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel. And I want you to look at chapter number 6. 1 Samuel, chapter number 6. Uh, you folks in the sound booth, you have saved my life this week. This is one of the few places I go where you can actually hear yourself. Most places I go, they got a four-channel realistic little box, you know, cost $99.99 and they bought it and hooked it up with a $12 microphone and won't turn it on. <laughs> and if you can't hear yourself, you'll, you'll just keep going and keep going and keep trying to hear yourself before you know it's your horse. But I really appreciate the help I've got from those guys in the sound booth. Now watch them. They'll get crazy tonight, but because I'm bragging on them, but I ain't, I'll hang around long enough to whoop one of you, I promise you that. <laughs> Amen. So just keep helping if you will, and I'd appreciate it. Look at verse number 19 of 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 19. I'm going to let you stay seated because it's the third night, and most of you don't look like you can stand long. So I'm going to leave you alone. Bless the little pregnant girl's heart over here. I, she don't need to be standing up, bless her heart. She needs to be somewhere reclining. And she's doing a pretty good job on that pew all week. Amen. She's a good one too. And he smoked, now listen at this. He smoked the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked. Now, if I was to stop right there, I have given you a reason why God 
will smite your life. Notice what it says. Because they looked, wherever you're looking is where you're going. And where you're looking can be the devastation of your travel. Notice what he said. They looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000, threescore and ten men. And the people lamented. That means, here's a Tennessee word. They squalled. Am, am, I, am I in the hills, far enough back in the hills tonight to get somebody to say amen right there? Yeah. They squalled. Yeah, they lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up for us? And they sent messengers, and it goes on. I want to go back to verse 19. He smote of the men of Bethshemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Let me give you just a, here's another Tennessee word, a smidget. Just a smidget of background. The ark of God was taken by the Philistines. I don't know how much they knew about it, but they knew enough about that box to know that God's presence was identified with it. And they took it to the land of the Philistines. Well, you go in there and start reading what God did to them for taking it. He started smiting them. I'll just stop right there and say, big time. He put a hurting on them. And the Bible says to the place they were dying. They said, how can we get rid of this box? So they put it on a cart, got two uh, animals, two cows, or kind, and the Bible says they turned them loose. And those two old cows started back toward Israel with that box called the Ark of the Covenant with items inside that they had been told to put in it. It comes to where people are residing and living and working in Beth Shemesh and it stops next to a rock. And the people go over there and for no greater crime than lifting the lid and looking at the place, number one, they were never to touch it. And number two, they were not qualified to look with the naked eye at the naked law. They had to have a, remember last night, 
They had to have a priest to do the peering. A common field hand. A common gardener. A common people came and lifted the lid and God killed 50,000 plus for no greater crime than, watch my lips now, looking in the wrong place. One Saturday afternoon, a football team that I like to watch, which I'll not mention in the land of orange, but a football team that I like to watch was playing and my boys were at home then and I was teaching them how to be fans. Tearing up furniture, ripping up carpet and real fans. And I hollered at my wife, I said, she told me out of the kitchen, which there's a wall between, she said, I'm going to the grocery store. I said, Throw me an apple. She hollered, hey. I turned around and that apple hit me right on the end of my Cherokee Indian nose. And why do you laugh at my Cherokee Indian nose? It busted me right in the face. Before I knew it, I was up hollering, what in the name of common sense did you do that for? Because you told me to. <laughs> the whole time, though, she's going out the front door with some speed. <laughs> because I'm after it. If I could have caught her, oh, it wouldn't have been kisses and hugs. I went in there finally and got my nose back down to its original shape. <laughs> I never will forget when she was going out the door and I was irritated. She said, if you'd have been looking instead of watching that football, you could have caught it. Can I get a witness? Sometimes when you're not looking or looking at the wrong thing, you turn just quick enough to catch it right in the smacker. And that's what happened to me. I got to thinking later on how in the world did these people have to die because they lifted the lid on that ark and looked in it? And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, people are all the time looking in dying places. Number one tonight, if I might be able to draw an application out of this, 
You're looking in a dying place. You are lifting a lid you should never lift and it'll bring death to you. When you look at what God has forgiven. Am I right about it? When God forgives somebody, that sin is gone. I need somebody to get Pentecostal right there. When that sin is taken up by God and that sin is dealt with by the blood and when that, that, that sin is, re, here's a good word, removed, remitted by Christ's blood. You and I have, and you and I have no business looking at where God has done blood business in our business. It'll bring death to you. I promise you. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Good God. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, say it with me, all, say it with me, all our sin. And I'm glad tonight that I'm not here on my merit. I'm not preaching tonight because I am righteous enough. I'm not preaching tonight because I'm good at it. I'm not preaching tonight because I'm capable. I'm not preaching tonight because I'm able. I'm not preaching tonight because I'm educated. I'm not preaching tonight because I somehow deserve to. I'm preaching tonight because my sins have been dealt with by the blood of Jesus and I am justified just as if I'd never sinned and I have an anointing from God because of God dealing with my sin. I don't have to look anymore where my sin has been dealt with. Can somebody say amen? amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm glad of that. And I thank God and I bless God that I don't have to worry about my forgiveness because it's based on the power of the redeeming promise of God's word. Let me ask you a question tonight. How many of you are here? Don't raise your, don't even wiggle. Don't raise nothing. But how many of you are here and the devil has done you like he has me on a Sunday morning recently when I was sitting in the, in the chair of preparation, in the chair of pastoring, in the chair of preaching, in the chair of promoting the gospel, and all of a sudden, just waiting on the opportunity to give what God had given me. An unseen guest slides in next to me and says, tell them all about it. Why are you telling them? Just remember this. I know all about you. All about your dark places, 
all about your past. You don't deserve to be here. Why don't you shut it down, shut it off, and move on? No way you've got any right to say anything to these people about their fault when you have carried so many. I said, you're right when you said have. You're right when you said have. Because this morning I'm not sitting here in my own righteousness, for it is as filthy rags. I'm not sitting here this morning based on what I've done or what I've not done. I, hold it, hold, sit down. You started this. You'll stay until I get done with you. You want to talk about who's who? I done read all about the last chapter when God's going to throw you into hell. And I want you to know until you get to sit down, don't you move. Ha, ha, and, and, and all you can say about me is true. All you can say about me is affirmative. All you can say about me is from what you know. But there's one thing about me you didn't mention. The blood has covered all my sin. And I stand clean tonight. Somebody give him some glory. The devil is a lie. And you need to quit listening to it. You know what I'm finding out? A lot of people can't believe what God said about them because they don't feel it. They don't feel it. We don't eat unless we feel like it. We flick through the TV stations and we wait till the one that hits our emotion. And we don't really get a grip on truth because we have emotions that get in the way. I don't care how I feel, God's word in fact says I'm forgiven because Jesus cleansed me by the blood. It don't matter how I feel. <laughs> That's good preaching if I am doing One time years ago, I was preaching in Greenwood, South Carolina, in a little storefront church. Years ago, I was a kid. I got in about 1.30. How many of you believe that nighttime is eating time? Raise your hand. Amen. I can tell by looking at y'all, some of y'all day is too. If I'd have said all the time, I'd have got everybody in here. <laughs> yeah. When the sun goes down, my stomach stands up. How many of you believe it's, 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 it's an, an anointed prophecy that ice cream was meant to be eaten while you watch TV at night? Some of y'all don't even like me, but you're getting with me now, I can tell. Yeah. I got home about 1.30 and I went in the bedroom and turned the light on and my wife was curled up looking at the wall, asleep. I sat on the edge of the bed. I said, honey, she said, don't even think about it. Now, I don't know what she was talking about. I just sat there. 
and all the female gender population began to uprise and get with the man of God. She said, I am asleep. I said, you're talking in your sleep. She said, I am asleep. I said, I am hungry. She said, you just came right through the kitchen. I said, I sure did, but I don't know how to cook. She said, I am asleep. I said, suit yourself. I went in the, in the kitchen and I throwed open the refrigerator door and I looked in there I got the mayonnaise out. I got a tomato out. I got some bologna out. <laughs> if you're from Tennessee, it's loney. Amen. <laughs> Baloney, if they say to be. And got, got the, the bologna out. I got a half a gallon of milk out and a head of lettuce and a loaf of bread. And I started building me a sandwich. I thought I was going to have to get a permit from the city to eat. <laughs> I got that thing set up, and I was in a chair sitting out at the table. It was about that high. I had mayonnaise on bread, tomato, another piece of bread, and some lettuce, and some bologna, and another piece of cheese, and some mayonnaise, and some mustard, another piece of bread. And I had it so high, you had to hold it to keep it from falling over. And I looked at that sandwich and I said, God bless you. It's been a wonderful day when you stayed in the refrigerator, but now you're mine. God bless you. Have mercy on you. It's on. And I jumped on that thing and ate it all and drank about half of a quart of sweet milk. Feeling good about myself. I went in there, sat down on the bed. I said, don't worry about me. I'm all right. She said, hush and go to bed. I laid down and pulled the covers up about two hours. That baloney said to that mayonnaise, move over. That lettuce said to that bread, uh-uh, ain't nobody leaving here till I go. I sat up on the edge of the bed. She said, now what? I said, go back to sleep. Man, that bologna and that tomato was doing a waltz in my gut. We got this little bitty room in our house. It's just a small one. I ain't talking about no closet either. Every house has got one in or out. I was dying. I mean dying. I went in that little old room and I assumed the position. Yeah. And I said, oh God, if you'll get me out of this one, I'll get out of the next four by myself. But I need some help up in here. Finally, in the process of time, God was good to me. But I'd like to tell you how I was feeling wasn't saved. 
how I was feeling wasn't sanctified. My feeling wasn't doing much for me. I was sitting in there about to die. But if a head of lettuce or a piece of bologna or five pieces of bread with some mayonnaise on it can disturb my eternal security, something was wrong with me before I ate. I'm telling you, no matter how you feel about it does not negate the truth about it that Jesus saves and he saves real good. Are you having a struggle with your assurance? Because you don't feel like everybody else acts? You come to church now, last night I preached on praising God, and I believe everybody ought to. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't think everybody ought to like everybody else ought to. No, sir. No, sir. I don't think you ought to act like somebody else, and I don't think you ought to mimic somebody else. I think you ought to let God allow you to express your experience in Him by Him. And every one of us, a fellow told me something one time. I said, what if I don't feel like praising God? He said, praise him till you do. Amen. I said, you mean just, I said, just praise him. He said, you get ready and go to church. And when you get to church, you get ready to worship. You praise God until you feel like it. He said, because praising God is what changes your feelings. He inhabits the praise. And if we'll thank him and praise him and give him glory for what he's done for us, he'll give us his personal assurance that we're his and he's ours. Now, I was always taught to apply what you preach. Let me ask you a question. Are you looking at where you came from Judging the status of who you are, where you are, by that information? I promise you this. If you look at where you come from and say, there ain't nothing to me. I was a whoremonger. I was a street freak. I was a no good for nothing, sorry, low down dog. There ain't no way in the world God ought to save me. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that as long as you ain't believing that to be the truth now. Good gracious alive. I can say how bad off I was and then put a but in that. But, hallelujah to God, things has changed where I am now and what I used to do, where I used to go, what I used to be, and what I used to act like, I'm not going to act like that no more. Now, if looks could kill, if you're looking back, You're looking into an area of death. Number two, not only if I look at what God has forgiven and can't get over it, I'm looking at a place of death. Number two, if I can't get over, listen to me real close on this one, 
not only what God has forgiven, but what others have done to me. I'm looking into a death trap. I am standing here tonight a far cry from a good Christian. You need to pray for me every time you think about me. Pray for me. Because I ain't got a lick. Here's a Tennessee word. A lick of sin. I need, I need help most of the time. The Lord's been good to me and I bless his name. But I am not a great Christian. I'm not a great believer. I'm not a great preacher. But I'll tell you one thing I will confess to tonight. And that is I am going to enjoy my life in Jesus because I'm not going to hold anything against anybody that the devil can use to kill me with. I may die from self-inflicted wounds, but I'm not going to die from being inflicted by somebody else's judgment or something I can't get over that happened with somebody else in a bygone day. I like what Ephesians 4 and 32 says, preacher, it just came to me. Uh, find it and get me started. Uh, Ephesians, I know the address, I just ain't got who lives there. That's the New Testament, Ephesians. 4.32. I, I need the first word. And what? Yeah, that's it. Boy, just doing what I told him. A little dumb, but I haul him around. I love him to death. And be ye what? Be ye kind one to another and tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, what Jesus done for us, God forgave us, for Christ's sake, as God hath forgiven you for Christ's sake. Have you ever thought about getting over what somebody has got over on you? You can get over what somebody's done to you. Have you found out that a Baptist church is a good place to hold a grudge? I don't go nowhere else. I mean, on Monday night, my bingo game's at church. On Tuesday night, my Braves ticket is church. I went to church Monday night. I went to church Tuesday night. I'm in church tonight. I preach tomorrow night. We got a service Friday. And I ain't got nowhere on Saturday yet, but I bet you want to come up. I stay in church. I enjoy it. I don't know nothing about carnival people. I, I, I don't know nothing about uh, a, a lot of other folk outside, but I know something about church folk. And they'll hold a grudge in a heartbeat. 
And I want to tell you, if you can't get over what somebody's done to you, and if you can't get over what somebody has exacted on you, something somebody said, somebody, he didn't even speak to me. He didn't even acknowledge me. I tell you right now, that preacher's not warm. Or that preacher don't have no personality. Or I just don't like him. Well, let me say something to you. We need to get over all that because holding a grudge can cause us to look into a box of death. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Please do. Oh, God, help us get over what people have done to you and don't let it get to you. <laughs> I've been, I, I, I pastored, I told you. Did I tell you about the first church I pastored? I had 28 deacons in it. I mean, 28 people in it and had 18 deacons. Active deacons. I'm talking about active. They almost made me return to drinking. I believe God would have blessed it. Because getting drunk was better off than what I had with them. <laughs> I stayed with them three and a half years. Church was growing. God was blessing. I was bringing them in the front door. The deacons was running them out the back. It was awful. One night I had about all I could take. And I said, there ain't no sense of me bringing them in one way and y'all running them off the, the other. So I'll just find me somewhere to go where somebody wants to worship, wants to praise God, and wants to see people saved. And so I went about 15 miles and started where I am now. And listen to me now. Those 18 deacons, 12 of them were vicious. The others were followers. I'm talking about venomous. Boom. When they struck, they left fangs in you. They was hunting the jugular. They wasn't playing. I had one of them, I told them about God saving whoever God wanted to save. He stuck his finger in my face and said, I don't care. What. I told him what the Bible said about, about Samaritans and what the Bible said about people who weren't Jews and how that Jesus still gave them the gospel. And we ought to, he said, I don't care what the Bible says. Our covenant says. I said, what covenant? He throwed it up in my face. It was a bunch of things they wrote down God couldn't do. I said, we got a Bible. He said, we got a covenant. I said, I'll tell you what you do. My wife. Went into labor early in the eighth month because of this church fight, and I had two little twin girls to die. I never came home, lived a week, and died of highland membrane disease because my wife went into labor early 
because she was afraid they was going to do what they said, and that was kill me. Left a note on the front door of my house and said, we'll see to it that you don't ever preach and you will not leave here alive. I'm talking about snakes. And my wife went into labor and they killed two of my children. That's hard to stomach. The doctor told me when the last one died one day, one died the next. With me on my face begging God and praying in a little old chapel in a hospital. Believing God for a miracle. Only to have death walk in and overstep God. And took my babies. And that doctor came in that little old room and sat down and looked at me. He said, I don't know what you're going through at that church. But your children didn't die. They were killed by pressure, by early delivery, and by depression from their mother. And you're killing it. I don't know what's going on down there, but you better get a hold of it. He was 80 years old when he told me that. I resigned the next week. For three years, I stagnated where I'm at now because I was mad at them deacons. I was mad at that church. I'd go out to the grave of little Rhonda and Tanya buried next to my daddy. I'd go out to the graveyard and rekindle my bitterness not even knowing how mad and bitter I was. One night the Holy Ghost Dove in an evening service in our church off the high dive of heaven and landed right in my lap. The Holy Spirit was moving in the church. God's people was getting blessed and I, I was sitting there cold as an ice cube. But I don't have to tell you about that, do I? You know that frozen feeling. When you can't get nothing to feel, you can't get nothing to do, you can't get nothing to come across for you, you can't get nothing from God. That's where I was and didn't even realize it. Too busy with my bruises. Too busy in my brokenness. If you hadn't been there, you will be. And I was sitting in the seat waiting for my opportunity to preach. And the Lord said, ain't going to be no preaching tonight except me giving you a text. And he quoted Ephesians 4.32 to me in my heart. And he said, you're dying from within. Ain't nobody killing you. Ain't nobody hurting you. Ain't nobody bothering you except your own spirit is leaking venom. In your soul. He said you stand up and tell these people. That you're sorry. For being the kind of preacher you have been. And you plan on getting it right tonight or else. 
I sit there and tried my best to talk myself out of that. And the more I talked, the dumber it got. I stood up behind the pulpit. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, there won't be no preaching tonight. Just an announcement. I have sinned against God Almighty and against you in that I have let a past action kill a present ministry. And I'm asking you to forgive me and pray for me. I said, I'm going to kneel down on this altar. And I want every one of you to come and pray. I had about 80 people then. Never will forget it. Every kid, every grandma, every daddy, every wife, every mama, the whole church emptied out. I knelt down and they come and prayed and had a prayer meeting over me and God loosed that devil, that demon, that spirit off of my heart and our church took off and sailed in the power of God. Only when I did, did they. Did you know that when we allow unforgiveness in our heart, we're not hurting nobody else. No, sir. We're self-destructing in the presence of a God who says, I'll help you if you'll just tell me. What about that divorce? What about that alimony? What about that last job? You had to get your stuff in a small pile quick and leave. And somebody underqualified and underaged got your position. How do you feel about that tonight? What about that broken down experience that you had that you're still having? When you lift the lid and look at what others have done to you, you are looking into the place of death. I don't know who I'm talking to, but that boy will tell you, I came in here when they sang that last song to preach something else today. We went over that, and we had it planned, and the Holy Ghost sitting right there. I don't know who you are, but right here is where he told me to tell you to listen. He loves you. He cares for you, and he don't want you bogged down, and I don't want you bogged down. He don't want you bogged down in ill feelings. I went home last night and I prayed, oh God, let that sermon work. And he said, I will, if they'll let me. I said, Lord, if they let you, what in the world could stand between you wanting praise from your children and your children praising you? 
And he said, unforgiveness can. You know why the high priest goes empty-handed and there's no praise or sacrifice to offer God? Because things and circumstances and fits that we've had keep us from coming to him because when you have that fit, the devil will tell you, you're not worthy to praise God. You're not worthy to give God glory. You're not worthy to give God any exaltation. Look at your life. You need to say, yes, you're right, but I'm going to change that. I'm going to get over looking in a place where others have done me wrong, and I'm going to get over it. Here's the last one, and I'm done. Thank you for being so attentive. You've been great to preach to. When you look at what God's forgiven, you're looking in an empty vacuum. I'm glad I can say that. Because <laughs> where I came from, I was a full package. But Jesus touched my life and emptied out the trash. <laughs> and if you're looking at what, you, what others has done to you, you can change your glasses tonight and see clearly now. With a decision, you can say, my daddy molested me, but I'm not going to hate him any longer. My mother ran off and left me, and I'm adopted, but I'm a child of the king. I didn't have a good upbringing, but I got a great family now, and I'm giving God glory and praise. And then here's the last place you look. And it's a death trap. When you can't get over what you've done to somebody else. When you cannot get over what you have done to somebody else. I want to give you this illustration. Paul said, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, Look at 51, 2, 3. Have you got it? 15. 1 Corinthians 15. What does it say? Yeah. Read, stand up and read that, son, like a preacher. That, that corruptible. Turn around now. These folks back here are deaf. All right. Man on the back's asleep. You got to read it so he'll wake up and listen to you. Come on. Here we go. Go ahead. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Go ahead. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Amen. I like that, but that's the wrong verse. <laughs> My bad. Me and you, stay with me. Right here. Right here, me and you. It's Romans. Ken, where is that verse, oh, oh wretched man that I am? Seven. Go to, go to Romans 7. No, don't let him read. He ain't been scooped. I had to give him some tithe tonight, and he wondered what it was. It was money. He couldn't count it. Romans 7. seven. I'm looking for old wretched man. Have you got it? What verse? Yeah, let's try 25. I hear 25. Oh, 24. I got it. 24. Stand up and talk to me. All right. Verse 24 in the book of Romans says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Who? Shall deliver me from what? The body of this death. The body of this death. Go ahead. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He said, oh wretched man that I am. Thank you, son. Oh wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I asked God a thousand times as a kid preacher, what in the name of the gospel are you talking about? One day he showed me an old Persian custom. If a man killed a man, come here, son. Come here, stand right here. <laughs> they would wire that man to him. He was called the body of death. He was wired to him and a mediator by the court was appointed to make sure nobody cut him off. He was wound, wrapped, bound to him. And everywhere he went, he carried his sin with him. And Paul said, oh wretched man that I am, who shall get this death off of me? But I thank God <laughs> through the Lord Jesus. He was wired to him. Thank you, son. And that body would rot. Now listen to this. And the maggots would eat through the flesh of the dead man and eat the flesh off of the live man and eat him alive. And he'd die the death. Nobody could take him off but a verdict from the judge who put him on him. I'd like to announce tonight, praise God, the judge has revoked the order. Yeah. And my dead death has been delivered off of me by the power of the Lord Jesus. And I'm glad to know that what I've done to somebody else, God has delivered me. I'm going to do something every Baptist loves.
Man got happy in Jesus over the Bible. It don't mean a blessed thing with me, but it makes you feel good. No, I'm done. My boy is 35, four and a half. He's called to preach. When he was about this high, he got on a riding lawnmower at the church one day, and I told him, stay off of it. But how many of you believe children were made to torment parents? All right. He has a little boy now just like him. And I tell him to do stuff, and he does it. <laughs> yeah, goodness. Yeah, goodness. <laughs> I bring him over to my house and teach him how to be a devil. <laughs> and then I send him home to his devil daddy. He got on that lawnmower, and he loved to pop that clutch and wheelie that thing, you know, wheelie that thing over. Well, he did one day, and his brother Richard was driving it, and Chris was on the back, and it reared up and threw him off, and his arm went up when the thing come back down. His arm went up under that lawnmower. The blade wasn't turning, but the wheel broke his arm completely in two. Wasn't nothing holding it but the meat, the flesh, the muscle. And he was just about this little boy's age right here. I got him in the car. You know how daddy says, I don't know why in the name of God you didn't do what I told you. I ought to take your other arm and pull it off and beat you to death with it. You know, that's, I mean, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And then I'll heal him afterwards. You just want to just box his jaw. And he's back there, ooh. There's a guy in the front, one of our church leaders saying, preacher, just calm down, it's going to be all right. You can't kill him, you'll go to jail for life, and we need a preacher. I finally got him over there and got him sewed up, and he healed about two years ago. I mean, he's a man now, got his own family. But he works with me, has for all his life. And he works with me now and preaches and assists me. Got called about six years ago to preach. We're sitting at a Chinese restaurant where you'll see Elvis <laughs> and Jack Isles and all them people go there. <laughs> and we was eating Chinese food and he had a short sleeve shirt on. And I looked over there and saw that scar. And I said, son, is that the scar where that lawnmower run over you? He said, yes, sir. And it come on me like a ton of bricks. I said, did I ever tell you I was sorry for the way I acted? He said, no, you sure ain't.
He said, but I'm listening. <laughs> I reached across and got him by the arm. And I said, boy, that scar will always be a reminder to me of how I acted that day when I said some of the things I said. He said, Daddy, I was cutting up with you. He said, you ain't never got to worry about none of that. He said, I don't even think about it, and you don't have to either. And I said, I appreciate it. But isn't it something how scars that you do somebody wrong will jump up in your face and make you feel unworthy? The hardest person, I say this and quit and I'm going home. The hardest person in the world to forgive is not your neighbor, it's not your wife, it's yourself. Lifting the lid killed 50,070 just by where they were looking. Where are you looking? Why don't you step out of your seat right now and join this preacher at the altar and say, God, I don't want nothing tonight to be between me and you. I don't want nothing to be between me and somebody else. I don't want nothing to ever cause me to look back well, you have forgiven. Just, just come on. That's it. I come out of a bad situation. Come on, come on. Out of the balcony. Somebody needs to stand up like popcorn. Just, just come on. That little old girl, that little old boy, that job, that situation, that set of circumstances, it's weighing on you. It's stealing your joy. It's stealing your shout. Why don't you come tonight and kneel down on this front and say, God, by the grace of God, I'm going to start looking somewhere else. Instead of where it's poison, I'm going to start giving God a better look. I'm going to start looking in another direction because I sure been looking in a death mill for my life. Everybody stand with me all over the building. Come on, make it easy on yourself to get out. Find you a place in this altar and ask God to help us tonight. Please, in Jesus' name, please, please, you come. Sisters, come in to play something for us on the piano and whatever you usually do. This is my last night with you. I may meet God before I meet you again. I may come back here and you be gone. God taking you out. But in either case, ladies and gentlemen, what we do in this altar tonight can make a difference how we meet him tomorrow. Come to Christ tonight. Trust him. Believe him as a child of God that you're going to have victory and you're going to have God do something in you like never before you slip out and come come on brother you sing if you will father thank you for speaking to my heart thank you for helping me tonight thank you for directing me to an, another portion another place because I believe with all my heart right here tonight we've heard heaven speak and this church, Lord, needs to hear God just like the others do. In this area, 
of what God has forgiven, I don't have to labor with it. And what somebody else has done to me don't have to weigh heavy on me. And what I've done to somebody else don't have to kill me. Please, Holy Spirit, work in people's lives. Preacher, I'm not at the altar, but I've got a problem in one of the areas where you preached. Pray for me. I need the Lord's attention and the Lord's help. I wonder, you're not at the front. You didn't move, but you'd ask for prayer. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. I won't do anything to point you out. I wonder if you'd throw your hand up for prayer. Oh, God, help us. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. People, hands all over the building. God, God bless you. How about in the balcony? Pray for me, preacher. Here's my hand. Lift it up high. Lift it way up. And let us pray for you. We're going to pray. And I believe an uplifted hand tonight will get God's attention. Anybody? God bless you, sir. You can put it down. Thank you so much for being honest. Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. Thank you for working in our lives tonight and for helping us where we've needed you. Some of us, God, has sinned against ourselves and our children and our home. We've almost ruined ourselves. Please forgive us. Bless these that raise their hand that never moved. May your power be upon them. May your grace minister to them. In the name of Jesus. The Just Good Preaching Podcast is an Unseen Hand Media production. This podcast is on all the most popular podcasting apps, so be sure to subscribe. And while you're at it, be sure to stop over on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that others can find these messages. For more information about the Just Good Preaching podcast and many other podcasts, go to ronniebrown.net forward slash unseen. That is ronniebrown.net forward slash unseen. Thank you so much for listening.